0: This is One Hate Minute.
1: Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven you? Robbery, homicides, take Give
0: me all you got! Give me all you got!
1: I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. i trying to stop guys
0: like me a podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and well, it's been an incredible journey. Like We're 159 minutes into Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus, Heat. We are literally seven minutes away from the final moment pre-credits at the end of the film, and It's it's a really distinct pleasure that throughout this journey I've been able to talk to a bunch of people, A, that I didn't know and and made new acquaintance with incredible both critics, writers, historians and also filmmakers and today is kind of no different. Today I have a filmmaker who Whose name I didn't immediately recognise, but whose resume is so unbelievably intimidating and incredible, um, and who has some wonderful stories that I'm hoping that he can share with us throughout this episode. That I, I just I was so pleased um, at the at the flick pass at the assist uh, from my uh, good friend of the show Jedediah Ayers on this one. Uh, the filmmaker I'm talking to today, he's been well, he's produced you know some films you might have heard of, um, Crossfire Trail. Um, he's the, the day that Lincoln was shot, he's been a unit production manager on movies like The Good Son, Nighthawks, but it's really his role as an assistant director in some of the films that he's worked on that is scarily unbelievable and sort of canonical in American cinema. This man I'm talking to today has been an assistant director on some little films you might have heard of, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull and Kramer vs. Kramer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to welcome to One Heat Minute for the 159th minute. Tom Kane, sir, welcome to One Heat Minute. Hi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you left out Bernice Bob's her hair.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry.
1: <laughs> That's okay. I'll get over it. And thank- and I'm so grateful to be. So i have just made it under the wire since that moment you're only 7 minutes away from completion 7 minutes that's it so i'm really i'm really glad you found me
0: oh i'm glad i found you too tom look guys what we're going to do tom has um some wonderful stories um uh, and and obviously has collaborated directly most directly with you know our Neil McCauley, Robert De Niro on this. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to dive straight into the minute. We're going to watch that minute right now together. You guys are going to listen along, and then Tom and I are going to come back and talk about the minute. But more more than likely, we're going to talk about the craft, and we're going to talk about some stories, and um, I think this is the perfect way um, in the run-up to this completion to get this started. So let's listen along, and let's go from there.
1: shot, sir.
0: So Heat is a Heat is a movie that you're familiar with. You've obviously worked with De Niro before. Like, where do you and, and work with De Niro arguably on two of his greatest works? Um, you know, where does Heat stack for you as a film? Is it something that you you fondly revisit? Is it something that's that you know? Where where do you place it? I'm just really interested to sort of hear from you as a filmmaker and and with your your experience, where do you place it?
1: Uh, it, it's uh, it's iconic for the for the simple reason, and I, I could be I'm not a film historian or a film buff quite like you guys, um, but but uh, I think the fact that he, that that Michael Mann got Pacino and De Niro in the same movie, correct me if I'm wrong, but was that the first time, and has there been another time? Well.
0: Yeah, like face to face, it's the only time. So Godfather yeah. Godfather in 7 Godfather Part 2 in 74. Right, but they and... never
1: but they never but they never acted together. Right, no, exactly. N- n- exactly. Never. So this yeah, is yeah, so, yeah so the, so that the first was pretty time pretty, ever. That that was pretty uh iconic for me and and um, and the dialogue was just brilliant. I I just want to go back to one thing, you know, Michael Mann is 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 someone who's who's um uh, like all the good directors t- takes a lot of puts a lot of attention to detail and makes it as authentic as possible. And it was the one time when I kind of like set up was when Pacino does take this machine gun from this guy and the guy doesn't resist. It's like as if he knows him Yes. Uh, and, and it's, it's all okay, you know, but he doesn't say what the fuck, you know, he <laughs> he, he, I found that to be, you know, quite, you know, it stretched believability for me. In, that's that, a, that's in a, a in, word
0: to say it. No, that's okay. I, I actually think about that too because I wonder I wonder if Vincent Hanna is such a rock star that he can walk up to a random uniform cop and just ask for his weapon. Like that's what I've right. always thought of in that sequence as well. It's just one of those bits and pieces. But but again, the, I guess if you want to really get to the nitty gritty of explaining, some would say, Oh, well, like Vincent set up this whole sting. You know, he set up the cops there. As soon as they went down right. there, it's essentially his operation again. He's coming in a helicopter. Maybe people knew he was on foot, going through the crowd, looking for McCauley. Who knows? Whatever. But yeah, no. That's right. I've always I've always thought that because he's so compliant. It's so nice that he's just like, okay, cool. Here's here's a double barrel shotgun. Yeah, yeah
1: have it. Have one. I'll get I'll get another one. You, know, you can have this one. Like as if it was a fucking shopping cart. You know? Oh, so good in a grocery store. Um, but anyway, that that just uh, whenever I see a kind of a violation like that, I um, it it it. it registers
0: yeah def- registers. definitely especially in a michael man movie as you point as you pointed out it's like such a slave to the authentic um even though you know can be quite melodramatic and things like that in this film and i think in this series of you know this podcast series you know we've talked about that that there's sort of this heightened level of the drama throughout but um but yeah the 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 heat you know the the brass checks of the weapons and everything like that when there's something that goes wrong or something looks wrong you just immediately jumps out because you're like oh that's so different to everything else that's in this movie,
1: right? Right, right exactly.
0: So you've worked with okay. you've worked with our Neil McCauley. Can you talk about him, uh, his performance in this movie, and maybe just, I mean, what you've you're been able to, to
1: De- You're referring to De Niro now, right? Of
0: course, our Neil McCallie, yeah, okay. Robert De Niro. Uh, I mean, it's oh, a, it's, okay. It's, it's, okay. You, and you bring up a good point. If this is your first episode, you're listening to One Heat Minute. Welcome. You've got a lot to catch up on. Um, Robert De Niro and Pacino. Funnily enough, you know the geeks who listen to this show and and the avid heat fans, we've become accustomed to calling Pacino and De Niro, Vincent Hanna and Neil Macaulay, But I guess for just passing fans uh, of this movie, it's always just Pacino and De Niro. There's no, there's, they don't even get character names. It's just who they are: Pacino and De Niro in this movie. Sir, so.
1: exactly. Especially if you know them.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, so well, I, I, um, I don't
1: know. The luxury for the luxury for the luxury you Macaulay, is that
0: you man. know them, right? You know, you know the man. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that might be that might be something less than a luxury too, you know. Let the truth be told. But anyway, we're not going to get into the truth. We had that already. That liability discussion.
0: Yes, we have. So, um, what do you think of what, you, what? I mean, what was it like working with him? What's it like working with these these method guys? Um, and and I know that you've got a story about you know meeting and, and being around Pacino. But can you tell us a little bit about? De Niro and the guy's commitment as an actor, because I think you know he's arguably
1: one of the yeah, greatest uh, actors yeah. of all time. Well, they, they, they couldn't be, they couldn't be more opposite uh, in in terms of personality. Um, uh, Bobby is very very introverted. It is, it's kind of a general term, okay, but it's not. He's not really introverted. He's just about the work. Yes, and he stays inside to keep the to keep the character going. Uh, so you're you're not going to come to work one day and say, Hey, Bobby, how you doing? You know, that's not what you do. Uh, you, you, you keep, you let him have his space. Uh, he's ready when you're ready and he comes to the set and he does the job. Yes. Finds his key says, says, finds his mark, finds his key and says his line. Um, and all with a lot of forethought beforehand. Uh, whereas Al is more, is very talkative and, you know, affable. Yes. And just completely, just completely different. Um, but both of them do, do do all the work, as far as I can see. I've never actually worked with Al. Uh, we we so, almost worked together in that we were both shooting movies in, in, in Greenwich Village. He was shooting Cruising, and I can't remember what I was, where we were shooting. Um, but we were only a block apart, and whatever. And I knew Al from from the Actors Studio because he and I both took a a, a directing course from um, from from someone called Lee Strasberg. You may have heard of him. <laughs> yes. Yes. They. Uh, yeah. And, and um, so, so anyway, we had a, we had a, you know, a, a hey, how you doing? You know, you know, that kind of thing. We knew each other's names, etc. but very friendly, you know, um, and um, uh, fun, it's funny that, that he plays introverted, Al does, very effectively, and, and De Niro plays the, the ebullient, um, uh, talkative guy, uh, very effectively, and yet they're the exact opposite in person. Yes. And he, when you
0: say that to me, especially because you're talking about knowing these guys from you know the beginnings of, of, of their careers, and and obviously your career mm-hmm. as well, it's you know Pacino didn't really flex this sort of um, gregarious, you know, huge, big talking muscle in his acting career until kind of like lateish '80s, whereas you know he'd been mm-hmm. he'd been so associated with. You know, deeply inward guys like the Corleones of the right. world and the Serpicos right, yeah. of the world. Like he's just he's dialed right. in. He's not releasing anything. All his cards are to his chest. Right,
1: right. So exactly.
0: you're you're exactly. working with you're you're looking at this film. You're looking at the craft that besides the shotgun jumping out in our minute, we were talking um, really quickly about Amy Brenneman um, uh, as Edie. Uh, the woman that sort of left aghast uh, in this scene, Um, a terrific performance. And then she gets her little punctuated moment right here in this, uh, in this minute that we've just covered. Right. So, I mean, what is it like, you know, you just flew past Lee Strasberg, you know, one of the, the one of the like most influential presences in the history of cinema, um, and, and and acting, um, really out of New York at the time. Like, what when you think back to these guys and and you know where they come up and the methods that they were sort of crafting as young actors and performers and filmmakers, you know, was it always was it like a certainty that these guys had to be in a film across from one another to really showcase, you know, everything that, that they'd ever crafted in their career?
1: No, I don't think so. I don't think, I think, I think they can, they, they, they stand on their own. Yes. Most definitely. And, and, and this is uh, just a, a, an added bonus, if you will. Yes. Um, because they're, they're both, uh, they're both iconic. They're from the same school or the, not the school, the same class as, as Dustin Hoffman. I think of the three of them together. Yes. I, great. For, I had the fortune or misfortune to work with two out of the three of them. <laughs> and, um, uh, and anyway, that they stand on their own, but they're but they're the top of their class. So, like in my opinion,
0: oh, absolutely. I was I was just going to say, you know, you you were talking about you are talking about De Niro and and Al like coming, like bringing uh, a lot of forethought to executing on on set and doing what they've got to do. Um, are these guys? Mm-hmm. And is I guess the reputation for us, like as you know film lovers or film you know obsessives you know we always think of like method actors wanting to go again go again there's sort of that obsessive streak you think about with people like Kubrick making people do a million takes and things like that and and like are these guys the kind of guys that take a while to warm up are these guys or or do they just come in and they drop it and it's it's done like what is what is your experience with the way that you know this class
1: works right right I can't speak to a to, to Pacino in that sense, but I, I, I tend to De Niro. I mean, he, he's, um, uh, yeah, no, he doesn't take, a, he's done all the work before he gets there. Just like we do the work before we ever shoot. The movies are made in prep. Yes. As Hitchcock, yes Hitchcock once said, <clears throat> and um, so there isn't a lot of, um, there isn't a lot of hesitation and his party knows exactly where he wants to be. He knows, <clears throat> he knows what, what the cut was before, this cut, and he knows what the cut the cut that's following is in terms of the storyline. Yes, and um, and he does. It, he's a pro now. Dustin, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, in in vs. versus Kramer, can I deviate to another movie? Please, so please again? do. If if, if you, this uh, is okay.
0: part of the show, is digressions? I would love I'd love you to deviate
1: for a moment. Uh, okay, so um um so uh, well. You come, to work, you come to work with Dustin, and you're on the stage, and it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and everybody's ready for the rehearsal, and <clears throat> the first thing you're, you, you do is clear the set of everybody but Robert Denton, myself, the strip girl, and Dustin, and whoever else is the other actor, right? Everyone leaves as soon as they start working, and yes. they come back two hours later, and Dustin's now rehearsed. Yes. Okay? Yes. Uh, and and then you start then you start actually filming and whatever. Dustin is one of the most extraordinary actors I've ever had the, the privilege to to work with. He um he can he can create a master uh that you know that director likes, right? And then he can create two other masters, okay, that are slightly different or even significantly different. Yes. And then he can match himself based on based on which master the director tells him he's going to be using. Wow! It's it's it's, a, it's uncanny. I mean, his his sense memory is just amazing. He also understands something that I think every actor should understand, which is what is what does the lens see? So so he will invariably, when in the rehearsal, look at the at the camera operator who's the actually handles the wheels and moves the camera, uh, and he'll say, "What are we on?" Okay, and he'll say, "We're on a 35." Dustin will know exactly what that lens sees from the distance he is from the camera. Okay, so that if wow. it cuts him at the thigh, his, he doesn't let his legs bother to act; they're not being seen. <laughs> he says that <laughs> for the wider shot, <laughs> it's it, it's quite amazing. You know, he knows where, what's a three-button shot if you are familiar with that term, um, or uh, or a two-button a Montana shot or a close-up, you know, a choker. He knows all those things in terms of the of can the you, can you for, of the for
0: Can you, for film layman's, anyone who's not uh, maybe as familiar, and I, I don't, I've never heard of the three-button, could you explain what that is?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, it, the first button would be just under the... It would be the first button on your shirt. Oh, the first button on, and, on your and shirt, and, just and just then two buttons, the yes, of course. Yeah, and then two buttons below. Right. And one of them is called a Montana. I have no idea why, <laughs> but I think... It, <laughs> Uh, these things were created by guys that were buried 100 years ago. <laughs> yes. They already lived and died. Um, <laughs> yes. and, uh, and anyway, I think I think the Montana is a three button yes. shot. But anyway, he, he knows exactly wh- what the camera's lens sees, and he seems to just bring the energy to that part of his body. Yeah. That's what I observed. Wow. Okay. Now, the other thing about Dustin <laughs> is that w- working with Merrill, right? Merrill is someone who. Who and, and mind, mind you this is 1978 so I can't speak to today um, but I'm sure' it's, it's the same. It, Merrill when she she'll basically nail it in two takes and maybe occasionally a third take. Dustin's only getting warm at take 19. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so in so in Kramer for instance, you'll see there's 12 there's easily. 15 takes between her take and his take in the close-ups. You know, uh, it, there's a there's a, a whole day between them. It's like, and, and, but uh, it
0: also, you know, in that movie particularly, the great Kramer versus Kramer, it's like it probably plays to his exacerbation because he is, like his character is so, you know, he's is at a heightened state and it's like, it's really interesting. It's so funny that you say yes. he's awareness and, you know, you talk about, I imagine De Niro would be the same because he's a it's strange to me as a as a guy who feels like he's so hyper aware of his own presence in the in the mm-hmm. in, in a film that he hasn't directed more. Right, right. Because right. he made that terrific well, he, movie, he has, the terrific movie The Good Shepherd. That was absolutely terrific.
1: Right, right. The Bronx Tale as Bronx well.
0: Bronx is terrific as well. Like he's made two movies and then not a lot Else around that, other than obviously right, right. act other than acting, because um, in an interview actually with Heat in in the anniversary, it's funny that you you know everything you're saying. I think if people watch, there's a wonderful Academy um, Academy sponsored Q and A with Chris Nolan as the director, and you see, um, you know, you get to see Pacino and De Niro and and Michael Mann talk to Chris Nolan about Heat. And one of the things that uh, De Niro says in that interview is, he's like, when we got to the coffee shop scene. I knew we we didn't have to. For him, he talked about a little bit about his method. He's like, I knew we didn't have to rehearse because I knew where the camera was going to be. Like the camera wasn't going to move, so he knew that all of his acting was going to be essentially a one button or a two button shot across the table, um, uh, right right in his face. He's like, I didn't have to practice, you know, no complex blocking or walking or anything like movement to make sure that movement, you know, uh, walking from one place to another. All I had to do right. was act across from him, so we didn't want to do too much rehearsal or in his mind, he was like, "I didn't want to because i wanted to I wanted us to be really fresh and really, really heightened when we actually delivered the delivered the scene and so right, it's, right, it's it's right. funny that you know he seems to have that same awareness of exactly what exactly what the camera yes. is seeing on him at any moment
1: yes, yes the, the, um, the other thing um and I just lost my train of thought, uh, but, but as, as you were talking. But uh, it'll come back to me, uh, and then I'll interrupt you, no matter what you're saying, <laughs> because if I don't, then I'll forget it again.
0: So uh, you 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 were talking about with, you were talking about Kramer, and you were talking about Dustin getting up to take nineteen things happening days apart. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, it was it was about it was about De Niro, and, and uh, oh, I I now I know what it was. Um, whew, like I, I, that was a quick rescue. <laughs> um, uh, the um, the relationship between between De Niro and Scorsese is, is unique in the sense that it's different than the relationship I ever saw between Scorsese and any other actor. Yes. Okay? They are very private. Um, yeah, with most directors, if you're an assistant director, you're, you know, you're right next to them and you hear everything. Yes. Uh, they chose to walk away and to speak in low measured tones. Um, and then they would come back and then we would do whatever they had discussed. But you never knew that. Whereas John Huston, for instance, was the exact opposite. I mean, he used a megaphone, right, to <laughs> yes. to, 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 to direct Jack Nicholson in Pritzy's Honor, which is another little movie, another the little old dimension.
0: I'm sorry. Look, you, it is an intimidating <laughs> list. It is an absolutely intimidating list of incredible films that are on your resume. But
1: but anyway, to my point is that is that they're very very private. The, they're, um, uh, I don't know how they get along personally but, or how they did then, but I do know that I, there are stories I can't tell you. But um, I'll tell you off the phone, yes, um, <laughs> uh, off the recording uh, about about that sort of thing. But anyway, um, Houston was that way, and, and Marty is exactly the opposite.
0: I mean, Jack, you just talked about another class member there, Jack. Um... In in Prizzy's honor, and obviously you work with him later uh, on the Witches of Eastwick. Is he is he in that class to you, or is he sort of somewhere on the uh, fringe of that?
1: Um, I don't. Uh, yes, he, yes, he he. he um, I guess he is. You know, I hadn't I hadn't thought of him because he's not a New York actor. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, he definitely he definitely would be. Definitely would be. Uh, can I, can I tell you the story of how we met? Of course, please do. and we'll decide, you'll decide whether this is libel or not, but this actually did happen, right? The first day that I met Jack was, was, we were in a, we were at a party actually, it was sort of a, it was just after the read-through, and and people were kind of warming up to each other and whatever, and he walked over to me, and I could tell he was, he was, you can tell that he checked out, since we had yet to meet, who I was. Yes. And what do I do? You know, that kind of thing, whatever. So he walks over to me, and he um, and I'm talking to someone at the time, and I finished that conversation. And I turned to, to, to Jack, and he says, "He says, uh, uh, you want to get along." I know he doesn't say hello, right? he, and he also looks left to right as if he now he's acting right. He looks left to right as if he doesn't want anyone to hear. You know, should anyone be listening? Right? He says, "You want to get along." Now, actors will test you to see how much sand you have at the very beginning, and that will tell them how, how much they can abuse you or not, right? Uh, depending on where, you know how sure-footed you are. So you have to come up with something that will level the playing field. So I kind of like squinted a little bit and said, Jack, right? <laughs> and he, and he, he laughed a little, okay? He allowed himself a little because he realized I had held my own. Okay. And then I, and then he, I said, um, uh, uh, what do you need? You know? And he said, uh, no, he said, you want, no, it was, listen, it was, do you want to get along? And so I and I said, Jack, who doesn't want to get along with the 800 pound fucking gorilla? <laughs> okay. And I said, so what do you need? And he said, just give me every goddamn nickel I got coming to me. Now, what he was saying indirectly was that he'd been in that era many years before, before he was a star. Yes. Right? Uh, where, where people like me did take money from him. Yes. Didn't pay him everything. They were, no, it was that, it was that kind of industry back then, especially with, with fledgling actors. And he didn't want to, you know, he's, you know, not scarred, but he remembers that. And oh, he, he He would want. have known
0: when he was coming up, what, what the, what the price was. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Precisely, precisely. Uh, and, um, uh consequently um uh, i and so then i followed it by saying jack i don't work that way you know and he said that's good and he said we'll see <laughs> yeah that's that is <laughs> then, fair and, and, that and is we fair went on and we, yeah and we went on it and and uh it was uh uh it worked out just fine um uh, i don't you know I, I don't know if i can say now i can't say these things uh, anyway go on <laughs> <laughs> this is. Can I just tell you? This I is mean, one of yeah, my. Fa- this is this, is this is this is one go of my go go favorite.
0: This is one of my favorite chats, and this is all staying in is because I lo- I, just the the self censorship. I just love that. And, and Tom, I thank I thank Tom so much. You know, this is a guy who's been on set with some of the the greatest actors and directors and writers that that american cinema has ever seen so he he does have many stories um and that he has to be delicate with and uh, and i appreciate his time <laughs> thank you very much and uh, for sharing but go on you you said you had one story that you can share
1: oh you, just, just in, in, in the, you know all, everyone you know has you know has um comes from from n- nothing you know you're not you're not born into into the, the the business of acting you have to find yourself work really hard Go through the, the, the paces, as it were, moving up the line and whatever in your career, and finally you land. Hopefully you land. Yes. Uh, very few land, but hopefully you do. Joe Pesci, right, who lived next door to me, uh, he, uh, for a while there in, in L.A., he, when, he, when he accepted his Academy Award for Goodfellas, he had the statue in his left hand, and he looked out at the audience, right, and, and he said, um, I know so many actors. And he said, I know so many fine actors, and everyone expected, like me, that he was going to say they never get a chance to win an award like this. That's not what he said. He said, I know so many fine actors out there who never even get the chance to read, meaning to audition. Yes, you know That's, how, that's the, the game you're choosing to play when you go into the, into the acting movie business. That you know the, the, the world is littered with really fine, talented people who never even get the chance to read anyway, getting to de Niro, getting to de Niro right and i can't think uh, this was this was uh, was taxi driver, I think um, where he uh, no, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
0: You oh, hang up,
1: you call me back, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you. That
0: story. that's fine. Well, we we can do that off, off the recording. Um, so you know, one one thing I want to ask you, just from like a pure craft perspective. You know, there's a out of this era, and you've worked with the Scorsese's of the world, and and you've seen those guys come up. You know, Michael Mann is a is a, in a strange way. Is essentially a contemporary of these filmmakers and a contemporary of you know someone like yourself working in in that time, but mm-hmm. but he kind of pivots to television very early at a time when television wasn't prestige; it was thought of as something else. And but right. but essentially, when he comes back to making movies, you know, if I look at movies in his resume, the the thieves, the manhunters, you know, Mohicans, um, you know, Heat Insider. I don't think of any other filmmakers, essentially, you know, in the in the Miramax era that are making films like him. I every time I look at Man, I think back, I cast my mind back to, to these filmmakers and these contemporaries that are working now, whether it's Alan, Alan, Picoula or Scorsese or or right. um, uh, or, or um, uh, De Palma, things like that, you know, Coppola. So when you when you're looking at that, do you when you're looking at his films as a guy from that era, do you see you know some of the you know, some of the same themes, some of the same like, political ideology, some of the same social stuff that is like, imprinted on how you make movies or how you, you, know, you see the world. Do you see that in man's movies? Does that seem to carry through, or is he a, a different entity altogether?
1: I, I think he's, I think he's an, one, of the one, one of the wonderful things to be. He's an individual all to himself. Yes. Uh, 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 he has his own footprint, and, um, and he leaves it everywhere he goes. And sometimes it's heavy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, and offset, it's really heavy. You know, he's a perfectionist. Um, I, again, I only you know I had friends that did Mohicans and things like that. Also, he did a TV movie, which is the first time I discovered him. I think it was called the miracle mile, Jericho, mile. like that, the Jericho mile, yeah. Jericho mile. There was. Yeah. Yeah. And if you watch that film. It's really quite brilliant. Um, and, uh, this was back in 1980. Um, and, uh, Uh, Anyway, uh, he's special. He's talented. He's he's professional. He's not easy to work with, from everything I've been told. Yeah. Um, He, 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 um, uh, whatever you know. The rest is just gossip.
0: The rest is gossip. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's a perfectionist, right? As as you've as you've talked as as you've talked about, you've worked with perfectionist actors um, as well, like coming in being ready. And I think that he's he kind of strikes and imposes that that kind of uh that same approach on all the people that he works with as well, so depending on your style, you kind of have to fit you have to fit that style yes
1: yes, yes, and having the ability to terrorize people doesn't hurt
0: <laughs> that is you know that is it's
1: a separate it's a separate skill
0: set right? <laughs> see this is this is a workshop this is a workshop in and of itself in and of itself right now. <laughs>
1: What? Uh, yeah. See, if we if we weren't on camera or on tape, we could we could have a even better time. Oh, but, um, look. Anyway.
0: I I'm I can't. This is one of the this is one of the first times that I'm going to have way more fun in the conversation off air than I am in the conversation on air. Um. So I mean, you you've you you know you you talk about, and so for folks, uh, you know we we briefly glanced past Lee Strasberg before, you know. For, for if people aren't aware of his, you know, his his method acting, um, you know, method acting that he essentially invented, or his particular uh, branch of that, and then going on right. into other filmmaking, you would know him as acting across from Al Pacino as Hyman Roth in The Godfather Part Two. Again, a sort of masterstroke right. from Coppola, um, to say, you know, if if you want to have someone as formidable. You know, one of the most formidable people, but also commands a great deal of respect in his diminutive stature. You cast Lee Strasberg because he, you know, for being a small guy, he's got that kind of power that just oozes, oozes out of him. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, you guys working under him and some of the, you know, wisdom that he would have imparted to you as a filmmaker saying you know if you're going to direct this is what you need to do could you give us any of those little nuggets that you may remember because i think it would be just wonderful as people who've been examining a movie and talking about why it's great and why it's perfect in in many respects you know what 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 strasberg
1: thought of directing and and but what you need you, to have. You realize that you're you're asking me uh, the movie we did together was 1979 i think Called the last tenant with Danny Aiello and, and uh, Tony Lobianko and people like that. Um, uh, but you're asking me to remember things from 1973. <laughs> <laughs> just a little while back. Just a little while whatever. back. But, uh, you know, when, when were you born, Blake?
0: I was born in 1985. Actually, yeah, today, today, as we're talking, it's my birthday in
1: Australia. Oh. Oh wow. Congratulations! Did you say eight,
0: eighty-five? Eighty-five. You, you? I'm thirty-four. Thirty-five.
1: Thirty-four. Congratulations! That's great. Thanks,
0: man. That's Thank great. You.
1: So, um, um, uh, getting back to Lee, uh, my my association with him from that from one standpoint was was actually being in this uh, in, in this um, this uh, directing class. Uh, I remember four o'clock on Mondays. You had to be unemployed to make this class. You know. <laughs> At four o'clock on Mondays, right? And 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 five or six years later, uh, I'm in a car with Lee, and he says, and and he s- says, Tom, huh, how come I don't see you in the class anymore? And Anna, uh, no, Anna says that his wife, right, says, how come we don't see you in the class anymore? And Lee says, what? You wish unemployment on the boy? <laughs> Uh, uh, so he's very sweet. Uh, I, again, I don't know where they, they get the well of information and insight, but he would, you, you would do a scene for him. And, you know, someone would be doing a scene, you know, two, three, four actors on the stage, and then he would critique it. And the, the, just, just the way he got them to think deeper about what the character, who the character was and why they would be behaving this way. What's yeah. the backstory? Yes, like just just amazing. I mean, these were not even seen, I don't think Lee even knew these weren't plays or movies that they were re- reenacting. They were these were you know pieces that Lee didn't even know. Uh, yet he could he could you know exhibit that insight, and it was just like wow, I never thought of that. You know, and everybody was spellbound by him, and not because of his his stature, but because of what he was doing right then.
0: Yes, just because so, he could cut, anyway. he could just cut through. He could just cut through right. to sort of the the essence of what you guys were talking about right. and get rid right. of all the right. artifice. Like, who are these people, and why are they behaving this way?
1: Exactly, exactly. And in the in, in the the movie we did together, uh, he's playing a, an Italian uh, father who's now so far he's he's so old that he clearly can't take care of himself anymore, and it's time to put him in a home. Okay, and he has he has two sons and one daughter and none of them. And it's, it's anathema. It's verboten for, a, for a, an Italian family to put their father in a, in a home. You know, you he goes to live with one of them. Yes. And the, sto- the whole story point is that none of them want him. Okay. Yes. They all profess love for him, but none of them really truly wants him to come live with them. And, and that you can understand that whatever, but anyway, Tony LaBianco plays, plays the, kind of the principal, uh, the principal, yeah, I have actually a couple of stories about this movie. Uh, he plays the principal um, uh, son, right? And he's, um, uh, well, I, I, I asked Tony once in the very beginning uh, to get you, give you a sense of what he, where he's coming from. I said, so did you ever go to the actor's studio? And he looks at me and he goes, I am my own studio. <laughs> okay, so anyway, he's, He's having trouble just entering the room. We're in a stage, you know, yes. The partner. and and uh, uh, and he literally is asking for what's his motivation to be entering the room. Okay, it's his uh, father's apartment. That's why he's entering the room. And there's, there's some discussion about that on the sofa. And the old line, "What's your motivation? Your your paycheck?" You probably know that line, right? Yes. Okay. Well lee does not go there right lee Lee hauls off and slaps him on the face (laughs) he says that's your motivation now let's get to work (laughs) i just love
0: that (laughs) well there you go sometimes what what did you say it sometimes pays to be a tyrant is that that, to be able to yeah
1: totally totally totally. yeah no uh, uh and then the other thing, this is just more pragmatic because I can speak to that more than the artistic um, uh, aspect of, of, of filmmaking. That um, when we first started shooting, I don't know if you're familiar with the call sheet, but maybe your, your yep. audience will yep. be. Okay, you are. Okay, good. So, so it, it's a piece of paper, 8.5 by 11, and on it, it tells every single person where they need to be and what we're doing tomorrow okay? Yes. And on the, the first call sheet, we, since it's only 8 net by 11, there's limited amount of space to write everything and whatever, so you don't so in a particular scene you, um, you don't always list the actor's name, like you know, the character name in this case, right? You list it by number, so 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and the, um, the general rule is that the first five actors should be the, the ones that are making the most money because okay? they are obviously the the leads in the movie. And then after that, you just, you just um, uh, list them seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and when they come up in the script. Okay, so that's just the general rule. Yes. And Tony comes up to me the first day and says, I'm not number two. <laughs> I put Lee as number one. <laughs> and I said, Tony, he's fucking Lee Strasbourg. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I'm not number two. I said, and then this is before computers, where you could change things and it easily go yeah, down to the, the pi- yeah. pi- This all had to be changed by hand. Okay? Oh my God, <laughs> and a typewriter, right? So I said, I, I said, e- I, we can't change, Tony. We can't do that. You know, it's it's we're shooting already. I can't change every. I don't have the staff to do that. <laughs> you know, and he said, well, you better think of something. <laughs> oh God. So so we broke for lunch. I came back after lunch and I said, I got it. And he said, what? I said, we'll list you first on the call sheet and then list Lee under you. You'll be to, so it'll read two, one, three, four, five. <laughs> and he bought it. Okay? Oh, God. And, and, and interestingly enough, Tony lived diagonally across West End Avenue where I lived, where my apartment was. And one day I ran into him a couple of years later, and he said, Tom, how are you? And I said, you're number two, right? <laughs> Anyway, that was just just an interesting aside. They brought in assistant directing and the mechanics of it, and then you got to deal with the personality and the ego uh, of, of of actors. And then if they didn't have that ego, and if Dustin wasn't probably if he wasn't difficult, he'd uh, he wouldn't be as good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you're you're playing as an assistant there. You're just wrangling the ego to get them to get them to bring that
1: energy oh, into yeah. the performance, oh, yeah. right? And they're testing you every every, every day. Well, look.
0: I think um, I think uh, the perfect way to wrap up this episode, firstly, is to say, Tom, thank you so much for being a part of One Heat Minute. And, uh, and secondly, I'm going to leave a question for everyone to ponder, um, just as we're farewelling Tom. So thank you so much for your stories. Thank you so much for your candor. And uh, it, even though we took some digressions, I, I loved doing it. So thank you. Thank you so much um, again. Um, if you guys uh, go to uh, filmproductionworkshops.com, um, you can check out Tom Film Production Workshop um, and get on board that if you're in the states and uh, and uh, and get amongst it. Um, but one thing I would just love to ponder now: I wonder, thankfully, only a couple of days in the entire you know sort of hundred-day shoot of this sixty-odd million-dollar film in 1995 heat would have required a call sheet that had both Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and we can both wonder who would have been number one on the call sheet on that day. What do you think, think, Tom? (laughs) Just one for us to ponder. Not an answer we ever need to answer on this show. Guys, thank you for listening. I've been Blake Howard. Thank you, Tom Kane, again for being a part of the show. You're welcome. uh, And thank you to Garth Franklin for our week design as always. Mr. Paul Davies for our theme. And God, we'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner.